verses 28 through 3, 3. So chapter 2, verses 28 through 3, 3. Um, last Sunday, our family went for a, we went for a walk in, um, in McKinney. And there's a park up there in McKinney called Irwin Park. And we, um, we had a great time just being in the woods and, and being together. And so we decided to take a drive out, um, uh, out of the park and come out a little bit of a different way. And as we were coming, we saw a couple kids on bicycles in front of us. And they were, they were older aged kids, youth aged. And as we drove by them, my wife looked and she said, you can tell that they're all related. Just look at them. Maybe you've heard that before too. Uh, maybe someone has said to you, uh, you look like your grandfather or, or uh, your dad or, or whatever the case may be. Maybe you've thought that about someone. In the uh, saga of Harry Potter, you could almost feel the tension of Harry, um, this orphan kid in the story, as he would hear time and time again about he, how he looked like his father and he acted like his father in a lot of the hijinks that he did. But then he would always hear this. You have your mother's eyes. You know, Harry, you have your mother's eyes. Well, as we come to our text this morning, our passage today, we're hearing the words of John echo a similar sentiment. That we would look at our lives and see the resemblance of our father. Not our earthly father but our Heavenly Father. So as we read and unpack our text today, we're going to see what this likeness to God has to do with our union through Christ. And so now let's look at our text, 1 John 2, 28-3-3. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Let us pray together. Father, I ask that You would make this passage alive in our hearts. It is a passage that we need to hear. It is a message that we need. And so this morning, Lord, fill us. Fill us with the Spirit. And fill us with understanding. That we would hear and receive and walk in it. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we look at this text. Excuse me a moment. As we look at this text, theologians divide it up in a lot of different ways. You know, First John is one of those letters that it just it can divide up in a lot of different ways and here 
as I see verse 28, it both ends the section that we went over last week concerning the last hour um, that, that John began actually in verse 18. But here also, it is a transition verse that sets forth the focus of, of teaching on our being the children of God. So in our passage today, the main focus that John desires us to understand and to hear from him is that for the children of God, the habitual practice of goodness is evidence of what God has done in us. So this is an important aspect of our assurance. So we're going to look at two major points that will help us to unpack this and kind of view what John is saying to us on a, on a deeper level. We're going to see, first of all, a reminder to God's children of their foundational grounding to grow in Christ's likeness. And the second thing we're going to see is the response of God's children to the grace of God to grow um, in Christ's likeness. So let's look at our first point here. A reminder to God's children of their foundational grounding to grow in Christ's likeness. The first thing we see in this text uh, when it comes to being reminded of our foundational grounding as His children is that God is righteous and He has given us His righteousness. Uh, look at verse 29 with me. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Now John has already noted that God is pure, that He is light, that He is righteous, that He is holy. And he has that, that in mind from the Scriptures. Let's look at a few passages and consider them. Look with me at Isaiah 6.3. Isaiah says, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. What about Leviticus 11.44? For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. Why? For I am holy. Psalm 96.9 Psalm 96.9 says this, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. And finally, in Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2.2, she says, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. J.I. Packer summarizes all this in this quote. Listen, when the Scripture calls God or individual persons of the Godhead holy, the word signifies everything about God that sets Him apart from us and makes Him an object of awe, of adoration, and dread to us. It covers all aspects of His transcendent greatness and moral perfection. Thus is an attribute of all His attributes pointing to the Godness of God at every point. God is totally righteous. He is totally pure. He is totally good without any trace of sin whatsoever. He is one who is set apart um, not just a little bit, but far from us. Therefore, He is 
the one who is an object of our awe, an object of our adoration and of our dread of the wrath that is to come upon our sin of rebellion and the sins that flow from our heart unless we are in Christ Jesus. And so that's the next thing I want you to see here is that our God is holy. However, however incredibly, the Scripture also teaches that out of His great love and mercy and out of His great wondrous grace, His desire was to reconcile us to Himself. Listen to Isaiah 57, 15 from the Old Testament. For thus says the Lord, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. John, later on in the letter in chapter 4, he, he will put it this way. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember that this word propitiation is a, is a two-part act that it involves appeasing the wrath of the Lord and, 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 and also bringing reconciliation to, from us to Him. So therefore, what we see as we dwell upon these words that John is, is sharing with us in this letter, we see that the word gospel, the word gospel is not something we do. It is something that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And that something is acquired by faith and faith alone. So in this great reconciliation process, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Ferguson puts it this way, these words from Paul are the core of the gospel. They describe not only how God made His Son to be sin for us, but, they, but also how those who trust in His Son become the righteousness of God. Truly, this is an unexpected change of place. A mysterious but marvelous exchange. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And we who knew no righteousness became in Christ the righteousness of God. So this is good news. This is good news to be born of God by the Spirit of Christ. But here's the thing, the good news doesn't stop there. Look down at verse 28 with me. Look at 28. And now little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from Him in shame at His coming. Look also at verse 3-2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. The second part of the good news we have is this. The world is not all that there is. All this brokenness, all this plague, all all the financial ruin, all the destruction of wars and rumors of wars and storms and earthquakes and all those things. This world is not all that there is. Christ is going to come again. He is going to come again. He is going to judge the living and the dead. And He is going to draw His people to Him. And He's going to bring them into His presence to live with Him forever and ever in the renewed heavens and the earth. The righteous King will come again. And for those who are His children and have hope, John tells us that we should respond to the great grace that God has had upon us and therefore grow in His likeness. So as we come to our second point, it's a point of application. It's just all application here. And it is the response of God's children to the grace of God to grow in Christ's likeness. Let's look at several responses of the children of God to His wonderful grace as we await the return of King Jesus in this passage here. First of all, we see in verse 28 that we are called to abide in Him. It is the only imperative in the passage. Abide in Jesus. Abiding involves several solid concrete realities uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus actually pointed these out in the upper room. And I've, I've told you this several times. As you're reading this letter, if you go back to the upper room discourse, beginning in John chapter 13, you'll see it oozing through these passages. It's like He's focused on that. That last evening with Jesus as He's, as he's hearing from the Lord. And all of that's filling His heart. And that's what's coming out here in this letter. And, and so if you remember when Jesus said to abide there as he went along in the passage abiding means first of all it involves the work of the Holy Spirit apart from him we can do no nothing Jesus said of the helper the advocate the spirit who would come and 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 he would fill us with the presence of the Lord once he ascended and went to the father this was a promise of him And so the only way that we can abide is through the power and the glory and the grace of the Holy Spirit. So it involves the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Secondly, abiding involves the nourishment of the Word of God. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So Jesus is telling us here is we need to grab onto His Word. And it's all His Word from beginning of Genesis to the end. It's all His Word. Um, because He didn't come to change one dot or one tittle of God's Word. And so it's all the Word of the Lord. And so we need to hold on to it. We need to hear it. We need to let it sink into our hearts. That's what it means to abide. To receive nourishment from His Word. Uh, thirdly here... Abiding means something painful. It means pruning. It means pruning. Jesus said this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. That it may bear more fruit. 
So Jesus takes away the branches that don't bear fruit. But those that do, He prunes. It's painful. And yet, it's very, very loving. Finally, abiding here means um, or involves bearing fruit. It involves bearing fruit. Jesus noted, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in a vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And again, it kind of goes back to that first point of the Holy Spirit. We have to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, abide in Christ. And and to me, that just means to look upon Him, to lean into Him, to trust Him, to obey Him even. As we read His Word, as we think about it, we pray to Him, we're thankful to Him. Um, um, We we compare our lives to the Word of God and we say, Lord, where do I need to change? And we trust Him to help us change, even when it's a struggle, even when it's hard. Because change is what's going on here. So with this in mind, John tells us that if we abide in Him, when He returns, we will be ready. We'll be ready with wondrous confidence. In other words, our present union with Christ enables confidence upon His return. So that when that trumpet sounds, when He shows back up, we're expecting Him. We're looking forward to it. We're ready. That's the idea that He has in mind. So I ask you the question, are you ready? Are you looking to Jesus as the author And the perfecter of your faith. Are you being faithful to His words? To His promises? Do you know that they're true? Are you willing to stand on them? To to stake your life on them? To hold on to them to the very end? Another response that we should have here in terms of responding to the foundation that He has laid out for us is the practice of righteousness. It's another aspect of bearing fruit, isn't it? It all ties together. We see this in verse 29. We've already kind of looked at 29. Look at it again. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. We see it also in 3.3 as well. Look at verse 3.3. And everyone who hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, we must not misunderstand what John is communicating. John is appealing to the foundation of that family relationship of those who are in Christ Jesus as little children. He is urging his readers to behave in a way that is appropriate at Christ's second coming, which shows that they have actually been born of him, that they are indeed children. Is it not seeking to live within the hope of the reality when he appears that we shall be like him? Yes, it is hoping, it is trusting, it is walking in his ways. So Morris says this, Believers are not simply people who are trying to live a little better. They have been radically renewed, born over, uh, all over again. The, hab- the habitual practice of goodness is evidence of what God has already done in them. Kistemacher makes even yet another 
um, a kind of a, a, a facet view for us here as he dials in on the language of, of uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Listen to what he says. John says a fact. Everyone who has hope purifies himself. He refrains from exp- expressing a wish. May he purify himself. A possibility. He may purify himself. Or a command. He ought to purify himself. John puts this stated fact in positive terms. The believer lives in the hope of becoming conformed to Christ Jesus. And the more he contemplates the truth, the more he purifies himself of sin. He seems to cleanse himself from sin that contaminates body and soul. Constantly, he strives for holiness and reverence to God. It is important to remember, as we have read these two quotes, that the underlining presupposition of acting righteously has has always had its source in our great God. The Shorter Catechism puts it this way. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace by which we are renewed throughout the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. And so I ask you, are you serious about desiring righteousness? Are we... Are we continually looking at our hearts and comparing it again to the Word of God? We are saved by grace, but we are not to remain as we are. It's a big mistake of today's world in thinking, if I'm saved by grace, then it's all okay. I can do whatever I please, and that's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches us that we are saved to be, become more like the image of Christ. And so when you look at the Scriptures and you think about who Jesus is, do you resemble Him? Because He too resembled the Father. He came to show us the Father. So are you contemplating these things? Contemplating the wondrous grace of the Lord Jesus and and thinking in your heart, how am I growing like Him? If you're not, consider that. Consider that as your calling. That is what the Lord would have in store for you, that you would grow in holiness. So here we see the response of the believers, first of all, to abide in Christ, and second of all, to practice righteousness. And so we see also here that the child of God will respond in heartfelt gratefulness. As John is contemplating the reality of the undeserved loving grace of God and the all of it, he, he, he grasps his heart and he, he exclaims these words, See, it's an imperative here in this text as well. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. Barnes says, think of it. That such a righteous God should stoop down to the likes of us whose very nature is a stench in his nostrils. And he lovingly calls us his children. By right, he should have nothing to do with us. 
John Newton understood this. Uh, if you've never read a biography of John Newton, it, it'd be a good time to do that if you have time. Uh, John Newton, if you read about his story from the age 17 into his early 20s, was a most wicked and wretched man. And, um, and, and it's, it's interesting because you would never think that he would write these words. And this, this was obviously after he became a believer. It's actually in his last will and testament. Listen to what he says in these words. I commit my soul to my gracious God and Savior who mercifully spared and preserved me when I was an apostate, a blasphemer, and an infidel. And He delivered me from the state of misery on the coast of Africa into which my obstinate wickedness had plunged me. And who has been pleased to admit me, though most unworthy, to preach His glorious gospel. As we look at the darkness of our own heart, that which we've been saved from, that which we are being saved from, are we thankful? Are we looking to Him and giving Him praise and glory? Do you see what love the Father has given unto us? Even though the world cannot see, they cannot see that we are His, when He returns, when Jesus returns, the children of God will see Him as He is. And the resemblance that we have to Him will be perfect. We await for that term. Listen to what um, the song, some of the lyrics of the song we're going to sing next. We have a hope that is living and a love that will never end. We have a God who's forgiven us while we were yet in sin, we have been crucified with Him, buried and risen to life, now justified, soon glorified, we shall be made like Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is what we are called to. To be like Him. To not be ashamed when He returns. To stand on the glorious foundation of the Gospel. And to grow into His image. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your mercy and grace to us today. I ask that You would guide us along these paths, especially in these dark days in which we live. Father, I pray that we would take this seriously, that this would be a reset for us. A reset for us to consider our sin. Uh, to consider how we live as Your church before You to contemplate how much we've been forgiven, how great Your love is, and to not only give You glory, but to live in that light as we abide in Christ. Thank You so much for this wondrous message to us today. And I pray, Father, that You would fill us with Your peace and comfort and strength and wisdom. In Jesus' name, Amen.